to the Red Dog Road Podcast, a program for people seeking a deeper perspective on the outdoors, sports, and personal performance. And now, here is your host, Nick Pinizzato. Hello, friends, and welcome once again to the Red Dog Road Podcast. This is Episode 8, The Benefit of Being in Shape for Hunting Season. Or, for that matter, the benefit of just being in shape. I think this is a topic that certainly applies to many aspects of our lives. And joining us once again is the co-host of the Red Dog Road podcast, Mr. Mike Groman. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. It's been a busy day today. We just, we traveled to Pennsylvania to see family again. My uh, brother and sister-in-law are expecting a baby here in May and they had the baby shower. So we made the long run back to Western Pennsylvania and, and then back today. And it's, I can tell you, it's, I'm a little bit, uh, I don't think jet lag's the right word, but a little bit uh, travel wary, I guess you could say. Well, that's great. I mean, it's good to hear that uh, your brother's going to have his first child. That's a very exciting, I'm sure, for your parents. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, as you know, it took my wife and I forever, and my brother's not, he's only four years younger than me, so he hasn't exactly been on the ball either. Uh, so we're just kind of late bloomers to the game, but it was nice to certainly get back and see people. And of course, everyone's always excited to see Will, our son, and I'm not sure they care to really see us anymore, but as long as he's coming, <laughs> I think they're they're always excited for that. Yeah, the door's always open when you're bringing the grandchildren 100%, 100% of the time. I mean, it's just something that grandparents look forward to and you can't fault them for that. No, that's for sure. That's for sure. So... Uh, what's been up with you? We've been a little bit longer than a week since we recorded our last show. Anything new going on? Uh, nothing exciting. Um, truck's getting undercoated tonight or tomorrow, I should say. So I have a, a rental car. I get to drive around a Lincoln MKT. So I feel very important today or and tomorrow. So, uh, But uh, for me, nothing exciting. I got to get out in the woods a little bit on Sunday, took a long walk. Uh, Dominic and I went on a two and a half hour hike in the game land. So it was, it was enjoyable. Weather was nice. It was a little bit cold, but uh, it was good to get out. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, when did they start giving out those kind of cars for rentals? Because every time I've ever had to have one, it was like a, a Ford Escort or something along those lines. You must know somebody. Well, I think uh, if we, we you remember back to our story about how I bought that truck and the fact that they brought in ringers, uh, maybe this was part of, this is, might be a, an example of how much I paid over the price of my truck. <laughs> it could be, it could be. You know, I, I've been threatening the last two times we talked about getting out and looking for some sheds, some shed antlers, and I actually did it. Uh, last Saturday, I went out and it was what I call perfect weather for hunting sheds. There was no snow on the ground, but the ground was kind of frozen from a nice cold morning. So it was comfortable walking. And of course I I did finally stumble upon a shed and it was one of these ones. And I know you've done this before. It was like two years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And dad insult the industry, excuse me, dad insult the injury. It was laying literally 10 yards from the stand where I killed my last two bucks. So it's been there under my nose all this time. And then it takes me two years later to stumble across it. And it was actually a nice one. Wow. That's just really strange how that can happen. But it's still exciting. You still get to appreciate it. Yeah. And, and I was talking to a friend, a friend of mine from Delaware. Uh, and he he's a huge, huge deer hunter. And he was out hunting for sheds. And he talked about he always does so much better when he really takes his time and isn't in a hurry. And that kind of made me think about 
how many times I've been turkey hunting and I ended up finding sheds because you're just kind of going along looking and listening for turkeys and paying real close attention to a lot of things. And the next thing you know, they, you stumble across an antler. Whereas I'm guilty of this. When I go out looking for sheds, I feel like it's a race for some reason and I'm trying to cover as much ground as I possibly can. And I can't imagine how many I'm walking right by. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's just, it's just like anything else that you do when you, when you rush or you, I guess, um, don't take your time to appreciate what you're doing to its fullest. You're not going to do it to the best of your ability. I'm sure. No, absolutely. It's, it's about, it's about the pace. I think when it comes to shed hunting and patience. And I think if I hunted sheds the similar way to how I hunted deer, I'd probably have a lot more success with it, but I hopefully we'll get back out there. And it wasn't a total loss because I was able to set a couple blinds for the upcoming turkey season. I also set a couple trail cameras out there and we'll get a feel for what the turkeys are doing. So it's, it doesn't feel like spring out there quite yet, but I'm seeing friends of mine that are shooting birds down in Florida where the season starts early. And I know it's, you know how it is this time of year, the weather can just turn on you in an instant. And the next thing you know, it could feel like spring. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. I'm about ready for it. The air, even though it feels warm when you're in the sunlight, the air, when it blows still feels colder, has that bite to it. So you know that it's not t-shirt weather just yet. No, not quite. Not quite. So, um, so Mike, we're going to go ahead and talk today about Benefits of being in shape. And uh, man, this is this is something you and I have gone back and forth with over the years, both of us being in and out of shape. And uh, we're going to delve deeply into that. I think uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we have some expertise in this area. Uh, we're going to jump into that. But before that, let's go ahead and take our walk down Red Dog Road. So for our walk down Red Dog Road for this episode... I want to talk about preparation. Now, this is a little bit different than what we had talked about last time. And last time, I think our focus was more about just effort and giving everything you had. And this is more about being prepared and preparation. And a a lot of people this time of year are following the NCAA tournament, March Madness. Even if you're not a basketball fan, it's all over the news. You're probably casually at least paying attention. And by now, you've probably heard of a little school near Chicago called Loyola Chicago. And this is a school that was an 11 seed. And even though they had a really good record, they don't play in a conference that is a, um, it's not, it's not the ACC. Let's just put it that way in terms of reputation or the big East or these things, uh, these top level conferences, but they had a really good record, but they come in as an 11 seed and expected really to lose their first game. And lo and behold, they're in the final four. And it was interesting. I was I was really interested to see how they were going to play in the Sweet 16 round because you get a break from the first round. So it is conceivable that you could come in and really catch your opponents off guard from the, at the start because they don't know a lot about you. They watch you on tape, but they don't really know a lot about you. So you could catch them off guard, win a couple games, and end up in the Sweet 16. But whenever you get through, get to the Sweet 16, now the teams all have some time off and they have a chance to scout their opponent and be really prepared for them. And despite that, I was really impressed with how Loyola had played in the, in the last two games. And they won them both, ended up in the Final Four in particular, the game they wanted to get to the Final Four against Kansas State. You know, Kansas State is a team that came in and they were pretty much crushing everybody. They were playing great defense and as they have been doing all year. And they had time to prepare but to me, it was Loyola's preparation for these big-time teams, I think, that set them apart. And 
I'll share a story when Mike and I are talking a little bit more about our main topic in this episode a little bit later about preparation and failure to prepare. But one thing that you can control is how much you prepare and the time you put in to prepare and to be the willingness to prepare and understand that if you really want to succeed, if there's something you really want to be successful at, you have to do everything you can to be prepared to be successful. And I think what you do is you prepare for success. You don't prepare for the possibility of success. You prepare to be successful. So for example, you're not writing a conciliatory, a conciliatory note at the end as if you lost, right? So you're not ever planning to go to the press conference if you're, in the, if you're one of these teams in the final four and having to talk about how you lost the game. Instead, you're prepared. You have one speech ready. And that one speech is talking about why it is that you won. So it's about being prepared. And I can tell you this is something I've tried to do for really most of my life. And I can tell you that even as I'm, as I'm speaking to you right now, there's a, a pretty major project that my wife and I have moved forward for and we're preparing for. And uh, if, if some things fall into place, I can talk about it a little bit more later. But the, the point is we are so prepared and ready for this to happen that all it's going to take is for one more domino to fall and we're going to be way ahead of the game. And I think that just gets back to the emphasis we've always put on preparation. And I think that's the take home uh, for, for our discussion, our walk down Red Dog Road uh, this week. And Mike, I'm sure you've got some similar examples. I do. And to go back to your talk about basketball, what I always find every year in the NCAA tournament is that there's one Cinderella team, there's one underdog team. But if you look more closely at that team, they are usually a, a non- um, what's the word I'm looking for? Historical team, if you will, or, or like uh, basketball royalty, like your Syracuse, Villanova, Duke, North Carolina, and so on. But what you have are these programs where the coach recruits these individuals and the primary goal for them is to prepare for life in a lot of situations. They have a full ride scholarship to play basketball, but they're there for four years to get an education and to move on with their future. But that four years of preparation and working together and coming together as a team usually can give these big name schools a run for their money in the right situation. Like you said, as the dominoes tend to fall. And I really wind up pulling for those teams because of the amount, the amount of closeness and preparation that you see between the players themselves, the players and the coach and just the dynamics. So um, preparation is vitally important no matter what you do. That's an excellent point because a lot of these teams that do end up being the Cinderella's are the ones that are the older teams. They actually have seniors on their team. And many of the teams they're playing aren't like that. These are kids that are blue chippers. They come in, they play with each other for a year or so. And that just speaks to the importance of maturity and understanding the task at hand and how that matters. And you can see that unfold right before you every year whenever the NCAA tournament is going on. And again, we have that example with uh, the University of uh, Loyola, Chicago this year. So... Uh, again, a fine example right there, right there in front of us. And I think that rolls us right into our topic today, Mike, and that is preparation and not just preparation for a hunting season, which is going to be our main focus here today, because preparation and being in shape isn't something that just happens right before the season. You don't, it's, it's not like just going out and preseason scouting. It's not saying I'm going to go out and run a mile and lift some weights a week before the season and I'm going to be ready. I think we're talking about just the importance of getting yourself into uh, outstanding physical shape going into a season 
And then what comes along with that, obviously, then is is usually a much stronger mental state. And I think just being better prepared for for going into, even though it's a recreational thing, a hunting season. You're you're right. It's something that you need to take a closer look at. Now, I will give you the okay to put the reins to me. If I get going a little bit too much here or start throwing out words that are um, a little bit too in depth or detail, just re- reel, like reel me back in and <laughs> make sure that I'm getting our point across, but in a very easy to understand way, because I can really delve into this probably more than I should. <laughs> No, and this is, we're going to take advantage of having the doctor <laughs> on today. So, um, yeah, I'm going to give you the floor, Mike, and, and let you run with it. And then I'm going to share a personal story of, of really it was ultimately failure, which I would attribute to almost entirely to my not being in physical shape. So the floor is yours. Okay. Well, before we even get started, the first thing, and, and everyone has heard this before, that you should see your doctor. If you're ever going to begin an exercise program, you should always make sure that you are cleared by your your physician. And you hear that a lot, but no one really understands the whys behind that. And I'm going to give you just a few examples of the whys, because to get anybody to do anything, I think they should fully understand the reason behind that. So, there's a lot of situations or a lot of um, sleeper diagnoses that you could have that you would not even be aware of in normal everyday life until you put your body under some type of stress or duress. And some of the examples would be asthma. Some people have exercise-induced asthma. And if you've never exercised in your life, you might have never have had a full-blown asthma attack. There are specific lung diseases, um, diabetes. You could have issues with your balance. And um, just one last one is your heart specifically has the tendency to actually have changes that occur in its rate, rhythm, and, and conductivity because the heart is a muscle. It does conduct an electrical signal to make it beat every single time that it has to contract to pump blood around your body. Well, a lot of times exercise can bring specific heart arrhythmias, which are faulty rhythms uh, forward when you're actually under stress. And what I mean by under stress is under physical stress is what we're talking about today. And that's really important that you talk to your physician. If you're letting him know what type of exercise program you're going to get involved in, they might actually have you do an exercise test or a stress test to make sure your heart's up for the task. Because the one thing that you don't want to do is get yourself out there in a situation and have something fail on you. And more, most importantly, obviously, would be your heart or lungs. And uh, there's no one there to help. And every in these situations, when you do um, move up to that uh, point of where it wants to precipitate and begin to um, like perpetually spiral you downward, seconds count. And so making sure that you're ready to go and you're, you get a clean bill of health to begin to exercise is very important. Nick, you want to comment on that? Or you want me to keep going? Cause I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too overly, you know, no, rambunctious with this. No, this is good because I think there are two levels to this. The first level is the, the level that you're talking about. And that is just being in shape enough to be out there. I mean, we see countless, you can, every year, sadly, you can guarantee that you will see in the news that somebody's loved one has gone out into the woods and they didn't hear from them and they didn't report in when they were supposed to. And then they find them dead in the woods. 
And oftentimes it's due to a heart attack. And it's also not uncommon that this is, they find the person dead near an animal that they shot or they find an animal that they shot. And that the adrenaline rush combined with not being in shape, um, that is hard on the ticker. I mean, it's, it's hard on a good ticker. I mean, Mike, I remember distinctly a video that you shared. You shot, a, I think, the first year you shot with your, your primitive archery gear. And you had to sit down because you thought you were going to pass out in your stand because that adrenaline was going so hard. So just imagine yourself if you're and, – and if you already – if you know for sure you're not in shape is one thing. Or another thing, you said the importance of getting a checkup. Let's say you're not aware that you have a condition and you go out and you have this huge adrenaline rush – that's absolutely dangerous. It is. And that goes along the lines of even shoveling the shoveling the first heavy snow of the winter. We call them heart attack snowfalls, the ones that are real heavy, because um, there are certain precipitating factors that trigger heart attacks. And there's a lot of medical history that is that goes hand in hand with that. Obviously, high cholesterol and uh, fatty deposits in your in your arteries and veins. But in the sense of early morning if you think about when hunting season is it's early morning usually and we hope that it is cold and if you are having to hike or walk up hills down hills with the weight of a tree stand or a backpack a lot of times all those factors are what can really trigger the heart to fail it's the cold it is the morning hours because we have what's called a, a circadic a circadic rhythm which is our sleep wake cycles just in case you're wondering and the heart at that early point in the morning uh doesn't really have the the opportunity to really wake up and get moving like it shouldn't it sounds weird but it's just the body's biorhythms if you will and they 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 ebb and flow every day that's what kind of makes us get tired in the evening what kind of perks us up and wakes us up and gets us going in the morning so um so yeah definitely you want to make sure that you're prepared to go but um for me what i would tell people is become educated um going to see your doctor is one thing but the next thing is decide what you're going to do to get yourself in shape. And there's a lot of things that go along with that. And we'll let Nick chime in for sure. But the first thing that I want to make sure I express to you is pick something that you enjoy. If you do not like the form or mode of exercise that you are trying to undertake, you won't do it. It'll be very easy to make excuses, to find reasons not to do it. So if you like to swim, swim. If you like to bike, bike. If you like to walk, walk, etc., and so on. Um, taking into consideration your physical well-being obviously if you have issues with arthritis or uh, of your knees hips ankles uh, low back running might not be the best choice because of the jarring motion if you have bad um, cartilage in your knees things that tends to wind up making you more um, sore and then you'll wind up not doing it anyways uh, secondarily is don't start too fast so the first thing is pick something you like. The second thing is don't start too fast. And what I mean by that is being too aggressive when you start out because you have to wean yourself into any activity and allow the body to adapt and acclimate so that you can do it safely and day after day. And so to wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to get myself in shape and you wake up and you run 14 miles, that's what brings people into physical therapy is, is these orthopedic injuries, which are, you know, connective tissue, muscle, bone, uh, ligament, tendon, um, when they wind up overdoing it in a lot of situations. So those are the first two things I'd like to talk about. Nick, you want to chime in on any of that? Yeah, I could chime in on 10 different things there. I think that piqued my interest, but I, to your point about not overdoing it right off the bat, I think is, is key. 
Um, I just I think back to my own examples. It is many listening may not know. I went. I, I put myself on notice last year. Actually, it was about this time of year, a little little earlier, where I said, you know what, I have. I'm into my early 40s now. I've got a little one now who is at the time not even a year old. And I start doing the math and I figure out that, man, I'm going to be close to retirement when this young man is a, or I might be retiring when this young man is a senior in high school. And I want to be able to be a companion and play with him and stay healthy the whole time and, and not be a downer for him. And I just took charge of my life. And I said, you know what? I'm done with fluctuating weight. I'm going to get into shape and I'm going to, I'm going to make it last. And what I did was I tried so hard out the gate and Mike's probably smiling right now because he would expect this of me. Um, but I go sprinting right out of the gates. And the next thing you know, I have sore shins and shin splints that I have to deal with. And I had, it probably took me almost two months to fully get over them. To the point where then I was off and running and I've lost more than 40 pounds. So that's history and I'm, I'm still at that weight. I'm, I'm really proud of that. But the point is I went out of the gate too fast and I certainly paid for it. And I wasn't even really in, in what I would say awful shape to begin with. So um, if, if you do, if you are one of those people that says, man, I've, <laughs> I just, when I look at my condition, I just see a giant mountain and I don't see how I get to the top of it. I think the point here is, why don't you just look at those first few steps and figure out how to get there? Yeah, if you don't, if you don't like to run, then get on a bike. Or if you don't like to bike, then like to, or swim. And I think Mike's point is just do something. But the one thing you shouldn't do is nothing. Exactly right. I mean, I will have to say I'm very proud of you. I mean, I know that you and I have. You're right. We have gone back and forth. And the funny thing is, is right now you're at probably the the pinnacle of your fitness. And I'm. I think I'm kind of dragging through the valley right now. Both of these classes this semester have been just killing my free time, but I am still trying to do something every so many days as, as I'm able to. But that's let's give some somebody this chance to understand what can you do or what should you do. And again. To get yourself in shape, it is, it's not a sprint. As Nick said, it's a marathon. And to gain strength, to, to gain endurance that your body is able to keep, you need to at least invest eight weeks minimum. That's pretty much physiology, which is how your body responds to um, the stress of exercise. And exercise is a stress, uh, good stress, but it is a stress. So you at least need to plan on investing a good eight weeks. Now, the one positive thing that I can tell you is if you progress very intelligently, and not that Nick is not intelligent, um, he's a very intelligent individual, but he is also a go-getter and very motivated, which a lot of you I'm sure are as well. But if you invest in gradual stages, by that two-week mark, the strain, the burden, and the negativity that is surrounding this initiation of exercise program in most people is usually gone. Because at that point, that's when our body starts releasing what are called our natural opioids. Now, I know everyone, you know, when they hear the word opioid cringes, but our bodies make natural opioids. They are endorphins and keflins and dynorphins, and they are naturally produced in the body by certain things. Uh, for example, exercise being one of those. And when you stimulate that and the body releases that, it gives your brain, your nervous system, that little boost of reward. Some people have referred to it as the runner's high. I have never ran that long or that far to experience that. I actually, I like weight training. That's kind of my thing. Um, but 
you actually do get that after weight training as well. And that's what keeps you coming back and gets you looking forward to it. So you at least have to invest your two weeks. So looking back again, pick something that you like, start gradual and just plan on investing the first two weeks before you begin to enjoy or want or crave that exercise. And then you have to get eight weeks in to make a physiological change within your body that is going to really anchor that exercise, that fitness in your lifestyle. And what, and one point you're going to continually hear me hammer home episode after episode is this importance of winning moments. And one of those winning moments is getting through that eight weeks before you, before you can even get to the eight weeks, you have to get through that first workout. Uh, you know, so that's winning a moment and it's just, it's really about piecing it together. And then the next thing, you know, I, I, I refer to it a lot of times, or at least I relate it to if you've ever been on a beach and you've just kind of got your head down and you're walking along the beach and looking out at the water. And then all of a sudden you stop and you look back and you realize, holy heck, I walked like two miles. I'm way further than I thought I was. And the point is you're just, you're just looking at every step as you go. And next thing you know, you've built yourself a heck of a walk. And it's very much the same thing with whether it be exercise or some other activity that you're trying to get good at. Think about winning moments first, and then you'll get to that eight week point. And then I will tell you for sure, the other thing that happens in addition to your body just being not, not just ready for exercise, but wanting exercise is you'll notice your metabolism changing. So all of a sudden you can get away with a maybe extra slice of pizza or a trip to Dairy Queen slipped in there and then your body's going to deal with it so much better and you're not going to put the weight on as opposed to when your metabolism's low, you start eating that stuff and it's just going to go uh, right to your body, which which is not what you want. Correct. And um, also you might want to consider, we'll kind of move through a couple more medical things and then we need to, I they still think we need to talk about how it can benefit you from for hunting or whatever activity you want to get involved in. But you really, I'm not going to tell you to begin to diet, but what I will tell you is to watch your sugar intake and sugar can be in the form of confection, confectionary sugar, which is your sweets, but also there is um, a certain amount of, you know, sugar that we get as um, carbohydrates break down within our body. And so um, you want to actually wind up trying to I would say, you know, to, to make it very simple, just limit your confectionery sugars to start is a very good place to be because we wind up wanting to crave that. Like our, our brain um, loves the smell of fat. So like fried things like donuts, French fries, our brain craves that when we smell that it triggers something in our brain. And the same thing is with the taste of confectionery sugar. So just try and limit those if you're really trying to um, turn over a new leaf. But if you're just trying to get in shape for hunting season, just strictly exercising and keeping your diet where it's at is, um, is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so in regards to workouts, what should you be doing? Um, the American college of sports medicine is, uh, a resource I would tell you to definitely look into. Um, you can just type them in. They're on the internet. It's, you can type in acsm.org or, or American college of sports medicine.org. And the difference between, and I'm not putting down um, websites like Live Strong and things like that. There's a lot of good information on there. But for me, from my profession and my perspective, when you're talking about information that is research-based and founded in science and fact, that's where you're going to find that. And if you go on that website, if you look on the right-hand side of the page along the top bar, there's a tab that says uh, public information. You can click on that. That's information that's free for the public. And then on the public information page, there's a lot of different um, 
tabs you can click on. Uh, there's the Fit Society page. There is a search by topic if you want to look up something specific. There's the Health and Physical Activity Reference Database. There's information on children, on women uh, that are trying to fight breast cancer. There's just so much good information that's all put up there by researchers, by physicians, and by um certified and licensed uh, healthcare professionals, that's a very good, safe place to start to get your information from. And then you can branch out from there. But one of the things that the American College of Sports Medicine recommends is when you're exercising, just plain and simply doing just more than 30 minutes a day. So you have to exercise 30 minutes or more a day five days per week at a moderate intensity level. All right. And so if when you when you want to ask, you know, what's a moderate level, if if you're you're planning on a, a one to ten scale, moderate's five. So whatever your five is, is an appropriate level of exercise and working within that range as you're tolerating it. So again, do you want to start at a five on day one? Probably not. Probably going to start around a two, three, or four based on your exercise history, your health history, and so on. But that's just a good starting point. Yeah, thank you for that information, Mike. And I think people will find that helpful. And the other thing I'll just say is it can be confusing and there's a lot out there. And it, Mike and I, we don't know a lot about much, to be honest with you. You probably figured that out if you've been listening to this show. But between the two of us, we actually do have a lot of not only personal experience in dealing with these issues, but you've got a, a very experienced physical therapist, uh, Dr. Mike Groman on the line. And you've also got uh, myself with a master's degree in sports and for, uh, performance psychology. So uh, we probably both combined know a little bit about this and can help you. I'd be happy to share with you uh, the things I've done to get to my condition. Mike and I have done the, the P90X thing t together a couple of times and, and went through that pain and misery. Uh, Mike is obviously beyond what he's already shared. I'm sure could share some uh, personal advice with you. So don't be afraid to send us your questions through the reddogroad.net website, and we'll be sure, I promise, to get back to you on that. So with that, I do want to talk, Mike, about a personal story. Now, this takes it to a different level. This isn't just about being in shape enough to even enjoy being out there, but this is a specific situation that I'll never forget in my life, and it, and it's, it drives me to this day, and I'm still angry with myself to this day, and I don't want anyone else to experience this ever. So I want to share this story, and this is about five years ago, whenever we first moved to Ohio from North Dakota. A lot of things going on in my life, uh, you know, focused on just getting moved and all of those types of things. At least that's the excuse I'm using. But I let myself get in probably the worst shape I had been in in quite a while. I probably weighed, I think, uh, at least 220 pounds at that time. Uh, just for reference, I weigh 175 right now. Um, hunting season comes along. It's one of those tough seasons. I'm not seeing a lot. I'm on brand new property. I'm trying to learn. <laughs> And I'm frustrated. So when I'm out there, mentally, I'm not prepared. And physically, I'm not prepared. And then out of the blue, early November, here comes this giant buck. Uh, you know, I'm already out there. I'm out there hunting, right? I should be to totally focused, giving it my all, and I'm not really prepared. And uh, this beautiful deer that I had no idea was there ends up coming and walking right, in, right across the trail that I expected him to come to. And just to make a long story a little bit shorter, I never really got the shot off because what happened was as, as I was trying to turn in my stand, I had, a, I had one little window and I was trying to, I had my bow drawn and I was trying to get situated as I was doing that. I bumped my arm on the tree, causing me to hit my release and it sent my arrow somewhere up into the treetops. <laughs> I never found that arrow as a matter of fact, but of course that was the end of that opportunity. 
And I totally blame that on the fact that I was in such horrible physical shape that I wasn't mentally prepared. And when it came time for the physical motion to happen, a a thing that I had done countless times where I was able to just lock in and almost be robotic and seal the deal, for the first time, I wasn't able to seal the deal. And it was totally because I was not physically prepared, which led to me not being mentally prepared, which led to me having a poor performance. And I vowed at that point that never again will I be in such poor shape when I go into hunting season because this is a huge hobby of mine. And if I'm going to be doing it, if I'm going to take the time to be out here in the cold and battling through this, I'm going to enjoy it. And the way to enjoy that was to be in shape. And if you want to perform, if you want to be an elite performer, you have to be in physical, good physical shape. You don't have to necessarily be in elite shape. I'm not saying that anybody, if you want to be a successful hunter, that you have to be out there doing decathlons. I'm not saying that. But you have to be in very good physical condition, I think, to have to routinely have good success. And because I wasn't, I paid for it. And that would have been probably maybe the second biggest buck I'd ever ever shot in my life. But I didn't get that opportunity because I wasn't prepared for it. So there's that level of, of success and how your physical health relates to it. And that's a, a great story, Nick. I appreciate you bringing that forward. I'm going to tell a short s- story about something that I ran into that I want everyone to understand is, and I was younger, I was in my late 20s and I was in probably since you know, playing college compared to playing college football, I was probably at the best shape of my life outside of playing football. And um, I was up in New York in the um, Allegheny State Park and I shot a buck on the first day of gun season up there. And it is a very um, inundated place of public hunters. And so for me, I, I scouted it out ahead of time and I was way far in. I got up really early. I wanted to get in behind everybody else and just have them push deer to me. And truthfully, it worked like a charm by eight o'clock. I had tagged my buck, but now I had to get him out. And it, if anyone has ever hunted or is familiar with the Allegheny state park, it's in the Southern border between Northern Pennsylvania and Southern New York. And it's very hilly. And, um, I drugged this buck. It took me three and a half hours to get him back to the truck. And at the time I just knew that it was hard work. I never thought too much about it until about, about 36 hours later when I got home and every day I started, every every day I woke up for those next two days, I f- had more pain. I felt worse. And um, luckily my wife, she's she's in uh, medicine as well. She's a physician, physician assistant. She said to me, she says, have you been drinking water? And I said, I don't, I said, I'm not a big water fan unless I'm working out really heavily. And so I said, no, I haven't been drinking as much as I should. And she said, well, what color is your urine? And I said, um, it's pretty dark. And um, she said, I think you have a a condition called rhabdomyolysis where the actual physical work that you do begins to break down your muscle fibers. And um, once that starts to develop, it continues to feed on itself and it can wind up shutting down your kidneys and you can go into kidney failure. And so, I mean, I never had to be admitted for that. I started drinking water right away and um, was able to reverse that. But even being in shape, hunting is a big strain on you physically and mentally. So it's something that um, exercise can really help because exercise does have not only physical benefits and it has psychological uh, benefits, which we haven't talked about, but we can talk about it here shortly. uh, Unless Nick, you want to add anything? No, I think, I think you're right. And I think in general, we've 
we could we could go on a long time on this topic for sure. Maybe we can come back to that. We can talk about the mental aspect of this as, a, as another episode. But uh, you know, the, the, I think what we're trying to accomplish here, Mike, is just for people to give your fitness when it comes to the outdoor sports a little bit more credence, a little bit more second thought, and say, you know what, this is something I think I might enjoy more if I'm in really good shape. And then ob- the obvious side benefit of that is. You're going to be in shape for yourself, which is always a good thing, and in shape for family. And I know as a former athlete as well, it was always easy to be in shape then because you had to be prepared to play and perform. You get a little bit older and you're not playing high-level athletics anymore. And the next thing you know, there's really – it's just not as easy to get motivated to stay healthy and in shape just for the sake of doing so. And I think the outdoor sports for me has allowed – allowed me to have that motivating factor to do that. So I think this has been a great topic. And I'll just say that this is exactly the type of thing we're trying to do here with the Red Dog Road podcast. And that is give you something a little bit different than what others are giving you out there in terms of uh, the outdoors. So again, there are a lot of really good podcasts out there that'll tell you the best way to catch something or the best way to kill something. Uh, we, we'll get into some of that from time to time, but I think our, our goal here is to bring you a little bit deeper perspective uh, for your for your own personal, physical, and mental performance. And I think this was a great topic to do that. So, uh, Mike, I certainly uh, thank you for all of your in-depth knowledge here. It's been helpful. I learn something every time I listen to you. And it's been over the years, you and I have shared this this journey together on trying to stay healthy and stay fit and trying to find success. So this was a good topic, I think, for for us to even relive a little bit. And I agree. I think uh, I think you're right because there is so much more we can talk about in regards to the mental side of this. This is probably a good place to stop to let everyone kind of digest that information, go back, maybe listen to this podcast maybe one two or even three times but i would definitely say definitely share it with a a friend of yours a loved one because um anything that we can do or that you can do to keep somebody safe is always worth doing so definitely take what we have said uh to heart and uh i hope each and every last one of you the very best and the most success you can possibly imagine yep absolutely and it starts with being in shape so Mike, what do you have? Anything exciting coming up this week? Um, well, it's Easter. Um, we're going to get a chance to go up and see the girls. I'm, that gets me back onto our property. Again, I think I'm going to do what you said to do. I'm going to put out some trail cameras and just see what's moving out there. Maybe take a walk and see if we can, a slow walk, I should say, and see if we can stumble across any sheds and um, kind of make some plans for the upcoming season in regards to habitat improvements um we have i've ordered four apple trees but they are still not in yet which is fine uh they ship us bare roots uh, from this one nursery that i order from and so i can't wait for those to get in but they're not here yet but that's about it for us just to get up maybe take a walk around camp and just see how everything looks that sounds like fun to me i this week i've got to go to actually tomorrow morning I have to be on an airplane at 7 a.m. to go to Norfolk, Virginia and the North American Wildlife and Conservation Conference. So I'll be looking forward to seeing uh, colleagues there and friends there. We'll be talking a lot about a lot of hot button issues. Uh, one of them in deer world, a chronic wasting disease will be certainly a big part of that meeting. So I'll be sitting in on those. And um, I also have our board meeting for the National Deer Alliance. So we'll be seeing all my bosses. Uh, with any luck, they'll still want me to to be the the CEO there and I'll still have a job the next time we talk. Otherwise we might be looking for sponsors for the show, Mike, instead of just doing this uh, for free like we do. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I anticipate that to go well. So that that's coming up too. And um, 
Yeah, I, I will say too, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. One of the benefits to your kid not wanting to go to sleep is that when you have to drive them around to get them to sleep. So my wife and I had to, to drive my son around all over uh, Western Pennsylvania to get him to sleep while we were visiting. He doesn't sleep that well whenever we're on the road. And I just, I was amazed at how many deer I was seeing. I saw more deer in the neighborhood that I grew up in and grew up hunting in than I think I'd ever seen. And I'm starting to wonder this 2 million or so hunters that we lost, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service over the last five years, those hunters have to come from somewhere. I just got to believe that that's kind of what we're starting to see here. Less hunters and uh, a lot of deer, probably too many deer. And it's, it's something that you can just, at least I was able to physically see out there. And I don't know if you've seen that, uh, you, you live in that same general vicinity. I don't know if you've been seeing that in your travels as well, but there's a lot of deer out there. Yeah, I agree. I've seen, um, the difference recently is more deer herded up than I've seen in the past. Usually like back in the eighties when we grew up hunting, you know, to see a herd of 20, 25, 30 was common, but that wasn't good herd health. And then we've kind of, we, we hit that valley where they had a, a huge, still a strong influx of hunters, but now I'm starting to see more and more clumps or small little herds of deer of about eight, nine or 10, which I haven't seen in a while. I heard on the radio here, uh, probably two weeks ago, the head of the game commission had to give his annual report to, um, Oh, who was it? It was uh, the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, maybe, or something like that. And uh, one of the points that he made was that hunter numbers are down, license sales are down in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. And maybe I'll be able to grab a guest while I'm at the conference because there'll be a lot of state wildlife agency directors there. And we can maybe talk about that. That's a whole other show for sure. But uh, like I said, those 2 million hunters we lost came from somewhere. And I think you can even see that on the physical landscape. So, Mike. Always great to talk to you and have you on the show here. And uh, I think we hopefully did a good service today for some folks that were listening. And I'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Sounds good. Enjoy your trip and have safe travels. Yeah, you too. And you have a happy Easter. And for everybody out there listening, thanks again for continuing to listen to the Red Dog Road podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. I hope you're telling your friends about us because again, we don't we don't have sponsors. We're not going for sponsors. We're doing this because we enjoy it and we think we can be helpful. And that means the only way we're going to ever spread the word is by word of mouth. So please tell your friends about us, give us a listen, and hopefully they enjoy it as well. So uh, have a great week, everybody. Have a happy Easter. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Red Dog Road Podcast. If you like what you heard here, please consider subscribing and telling your friends. You can also visit the website and blog at reddogroad.net.